Hey, aloha, and welcome to another edition of the Jeff Rambo Show. We're talking quarterbacks with one of the great ones. And uh, this guy has a really a, uh, interesting path through the NFL, and we're going to kind of unpack all of that. But it all started for our guest, Gus Farratt, in Pennsylvania, which has produced quite a few quarterbacks in its time. Gus, welcome to the show. Hey, Jeff, good to be on. Uh, yeah, Pennsylvania, we've had quite a few okay quarterbacks, I guess. I, I'd, I'd say you can start with Joe Namath, wouldn't you, and Johnny Unitas, and just kind of go from there. Dan Marino, Jim Kelly, Joe Montana, you know, I mean, there's probably another dozen I could name. Hey, now tell me something. How does a guy from Pennsylvania end up playing his college football for the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. Well, you know, that's everybody asks me that all the time because it's not an easy path, right? It's like, okay, Pennsylvania, Oklahoma, how do those two, what happens there? And uh, really, we had a coach who grew up in Pennsylvania and went to Penn State and played. He was an offensive line coach. His name was Mark Thomas. And Coach Thomas recruited our area. You know, they said, hey, where do you want to recruit? He said, I'm going back home. So I actually graduated with about 12 guys from Western Pennsylvania. Uh, we had our own little family down there, which was which was great because you never felt like you were away from home. Um, and, uh, you know, we just I had a great time at Tulsa. Tulsa was a great school. We had a great system. Uh, Dave Rader was an incredible head coach and it was just a lot of fun. And I grew up a lot. You know, when you're a thousand miles away from home going to college, you you tend to grow up pretty fast. You know, Tulsa and, you know, I, I had a quarterback from Tulsa myself, T.J. Rudley, who, who came after you. and he had was before me. Well, he was before you. Yeah. I didn't even know that. You know, he had, he, he had a modicum of success, hung around the NFL for a few years, was the NFL Europe MVP, and then we had him in Canada. Um, and I talked to T.J. about that same question. And he said, you know, when you go back and you look at Tulsa's football history, it's really pretty rich. They produced a tremendous amount of NFL players. And and even though it's one of the smallest schools by enrollment in college football, they have battled against the big boys tooth and nail. Yeah, we played a lot of big games when I was at Tulsa for five years. I mean, we had some amazing games, played in a few bowl games. Uh, but uh, yeah, the lineage is pretty deep. I actually talked to a former Tulsa uh, alumni today and Steve Largent. And so yep. Steve and I were, you know, we didn't go back too far. We were different eras, but, uh, you know, we were both Tulsa guys. And he actually still lives there. But, you know, we've had a rich history. And like you said, I think the biggest thing is when I went there, you don't realize that there's 5,000 people that go to Tulsa, but only 2,500 are full-time students. Everybody else comes in from, you know, they took a night classes and things like that. I forget what that term is. Uh, but, you know, it's a small, small school and we do compete. You know, we play Oklahoma, Oklahoma State every year. Uh, we play Arkansas. And, uh, you know, when I was there, we played some really big schools, you know, from Iowa to you name it, but it was always fun. Um, it's a it's a great place, and I don't miss that old turf at all. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about because our players, when I was at SMU, Tulsa was in the league, and and uh, the players complained about that turf, like 
Like they, they had no, they, I tell you what, I swear to God, we had a couple of them missed the, missed the bus to go to Tulsa and it was probably because of the turf. Well, you know, it's, it, it would literally eat the skin off your arm, that old stuff. And I've seen, I mean, we used to have guys in practice that would hurt their knee just because they were turning a corner and nobody even around them. But that turf just was so sticky. It just grabbed you. And I was lucky I survived it. Gus, let's talk about, like, you know, we, we just had a draft come and go. Um, you were drafted. You're drafted late, but you were drafted. And your, your experience was really kind of unique in my mind because – you were drafted the same year as Heath Schuler, if I if I remember correctly. And Heath was was a kid out of Tennessee, big program, big name, big reputation. And you get drafted in the same draft class from Tiny Tulsa. What was that like for you going to camp and you know looking? Did you what? Did it impact the way you approach the game or you know your thought process going into camp? No, I mean, he's a first round pick, you know, you're always going to go up against that. Uh, you know, it's like being a freshman in college, right? There's a guy that's older than you and you have to compete. And the only thing that you can do is work hard and, and try to get better every day. And so when I went, when I was drafted in the seventh round, I was the fifth overall quarterback taken, which is kind of crazy. Um, and like this past draft, I think there were, you know, four guys by round two. So you just never know every year is different. Uh, but when I went to uh, Washington, you know, and you're competing in all the offseason stuff and, you know, Heath is a first round pick. He's got all the cameras. Everybody's asked, talking to him and I'm just walking by, which is great. And then all of a sudden he doesn't show up for training camp and I'm taking all his reps and all of a sudden I'm talking to all the cameras uh, and I'm getting to know all the guys and they're trusting me um, because all I'm doing is working, right? I'm doing, remembering, I'm studying the playbook, doing everything I can, not making mistakes. I mean, mistakes as far as trying to, you know, say the right things, do the right things as a quarterback, being a leader. Um, it's always hard when you're rookie, and then your seventh rounder, it's even harder. So like Brock Purdy came in. Um, it was a little different situation. Like if he, he just came in and showed what he could do, right, that, that he could make plays. Uh, for me, it was like going through the offseason, then all of a sudden training camp, it's like there's you and John Freeze, and then he shoulders not there. It's it, it was really crazy. So I think that when I tell kids, I say, look, if you're good, they'll find you. Mm -hmm. If you can play, you're going to get a shot. And when you get that shot, you can't screw it up. Right. You can't make those mistakes that the coaches are just going to be like, oh, yeah, this this is why he was a seventh rounder or whatever. Right. You know, you have to take advantage of the opportunities and you want you see it every year. Somebody gets hurt. A guy gets a chance and then you never hear his name again or somebody gets hurt. He got a chance. He really proved himself. And then you continue to see him around the league for a long time. All right. Now. You know, I, I, I truly believe this. When you're a first rounder or, you know, in the first three rounds, really, you have to prove you you can't. And when you're a seventh rounder, you have to prove you can. There's a big difference between those. There's a very big difference. Well, when you have to prove you can't, you get many opportunities. When you have to prove you can, you don't get but one or two, right? That's true. And, and so uh, I've seen a lot of first rounders come and go. 
I've seen a lot of young guys who were never even drafted stay. So it's just you you wonder what it is that makes somebody be able to play in this league for a long time. And I think it's not just one ingredient. You know, it has to be the whole cake, right? Um, they have to be able to have enough of everything uh, and then be able to also understand the coach and the system, right? Like Heath really had a hard time with the digit system. He was more of a West Coast guy and understood that. And for me, because I played with seven teams, I always could go to another system and pick it up. And I don't know why I could, you know, it's like learning a new language. I don't know why I could pick it up, but I just could. And uh, it really helps you um, extend your career when you can do that. Because the gift as a quarterback, we're all given, we can throw a football, right? You're accurate and everything. The routes don't change team to team. It's the language. It's how the coach coaches. You know, it's all those things put together that you have to be able to handle. And if you can't, then, you know, there's, you're going to be going somewhere else. All right. Now, a lot of people don't realize that you, you had some, I think, really great moments in the NFL. And you had a moment that was captured forever on, on camera. And we'll, we'll get into that one in a second. But one of the things people don't realize about you is that you are, you hold the record with some other guys for the longest touchdown completion in National Football League history. Take us to the game. Take us through the play. Well, I'm playing for the Vikings. We're at home. We're playing the Bears, obviously a big rival. Um, it's always a good game, you know, when you play in your big rival like that. So we're playing the Bears. They're, they're having a drive. They're driving down the field. We have a really good team at this point. Um you know, we have some big guys up front um, and, and, you know, Kevin Williams, Pat Williams, defenses, they're all just good. Jared Allen's there. Just we have really good players. Um, and so they're driving down. The Bears always – I mean, I think every team has the same talent level, really. It comes down to coaching. Um, and I think – and injuries. But they're driving. We do a goal line stand. The crowd's going insane, Right. So they hold them on fourth and goal. They hold them. We get the ball in a half yard line. Um, and I'm, I go up to um, Daryl Bevel, who's our um, offensive coordinator. Yeah. And uh, he goes, all right, we're just going to call 999 FC. And I'm like, what? Like, we, we're on the half yard line. He goes, yeah, let's run it. I said, all right. Like, you never get that opportunity coming out of it. Most coaches are real conservative. He's like, let's go for it. I'm like, all right, cool. So called in a huddle. All right, here we go. Got got my guys, Bernard Barry and, and uh, you know, I can't remember who else was on the other side because that was like every time I'm asked about it, it's just Bernard, right? <laughs> That's the only thing. But I, I remember Santa Shanka was my tight end over here on my left. And I dropped back. The Bears are playing cover three. And what do you teach a corner in cover three, right? Good you're going to try to play. You're going to try and play both the scene yeah. and – the guy on the outside. So it's Peanut Tillman. He's playing the scene. I'm staring down Vasante Shanko. And uh, he starts, when I throw it, because I'm staring Vasante down, that it looks like I'm going to throw to him. So he actually takes a couple steps towards the tight end. And I launched the ball downfield about 45 on the sideline. 
and um, Bernard's was running it perfect, and you know they there's no catching up. But it was just one of those things that happened. Like you don't think it's real, you know what I mean? Like as even as all the games that I've played and all the hours that you spent and all the deep balls that you've thrown in practice. 45 yards downfield, three yards from the sideline. That's the perfect throw. And, and there I'm 38 years old. And, and it, like it finally happened. It only took 25 years to, you know, to do that. So it was incredible. So throw it from the back of the end zone. I mean, perfect protection, uh, you know, and, and I have this incredible picture from behind of, uh, you know, how they do the fisheye picture, right? The, the yeah. cameraman was right at the goalpost, but it's like the whole stadium. It's the ball launching out of my hand. And then it's like the coverage. You see the coverage where, where like peanuts, like in the middle, safety's down the middle of the field and Bernard's just running like by himself. And it's just like, wow, this is magical. And, and you know, then you end up, he runs down and, and like we all run about 110 yards outfield. I'm like, I never run this far in a football field. I'm exhausted. But, you know, the place, Minnesota was special. Like the fans are special. Uh, the place was just going insane. And my family was at the game. And, and you know, that year we won the division. So that game was just magical. And, and to be able to, to you know, do that in my career was was amazing. Now you also had a Pro Bowl year, and you you finished your NFL career playing for seven different teams, and the and the Vikings twice. So that's I'll count that as an eighth eighth experience. All of that, when you boil it all down, Gus, what do you think the secret was for your longevity in the league? Well, I think it's, like I said, I was given the ability to pick up a football and throw it. There was no warming up. It was just always could do that, right? Um, it was it was just something that I could do. It could come in cold. Let's go. I can throw it whatever route you want. That, that was just given to me. I think the other part that was learned was studying, 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 learning the playbook, uh, reading a defense, um, you know, understanding tips, as you go through the league and as you get older, um, there's all these little things that you can learn by watching film. Uh, you know, if a guy's foot is up instead of back, if it's if his butt's turned one way or the other, if they're, you know, zone blitz versus a free safety blitz, how a defense is going to look if they're playing man, if this guy's playing man. Like, there's all these things that you learn that you go, man, if I would have known this as a rookie, you know, we could have been a lot better. But it's just, it's just the process of learning how to play in the NFL. And then I think it's the speed is something that, you can either do it or you can't. And it's hard to describe what it's like, but um, it's just different, right? Because you got guys that are not just three guys on the other side that are really good. It's 11 guys on the other yeah. side that are really good that can cover everybody that can do these things. But also I got guys that are really good too. Can, can when he gets open for that split second, can the ball be delivered on time? And, you know, that's what separates people from, being able to play in the league and not play in the league. And so for me, I think it was all the above, just, you know, God-given ability to throw football, uh, being tough in the pocket, uh, learning an offense, learning how to read a defense, and then just being able to deliver the ball in an accurate way on time. You know, the position is evolving, has evolved. Uh, The physical skill set that – 
you know, I won't say it's necessary to play the game today, but in the, as the offenses have changed and the way they protect the quarterback now and all of those things, it still doesn't, doesn't it still come down to decision-making and accuracy more than anything else? Yeah, you know, because there's been, in, I've been in games where you're like, man, there's nothing going my way. And you just feel like you can't, doesn't matter what happens, right? And you're just off and you just don't know why. And it's just frustrating not to figure it out. But then when everything is clicking, it's always like a big place happen. I don't care if I'm throwing it uh, uh, a little bubble route to my, you know, receiver or swing pass to my back or a hitch to a receiver. It, it, when it's going right, it's going right because you're putting it on the spot, on the money, and they're able to make a play afterwards. And it still comes down to me and you, you running around, me throwing it to you accurately, but also understanding, like I said before, if I have given a play, one play, that defense can run, you know, eight, nine different defenses. So that play is always different. That defense isn't just going to run cover three every time. Right now we can formation people. We can do things to get them into cover three, but that doesn't mean they're going to do it. We hope for that. Like I love when I always love when, when defensive offensive coaches script practice and it's always against the perfect scenario. And it's like, we go on the game. We're like, we never saw that. Like you didn't script this. Like, (laughs) so I'll tell you a story about that. So Daryl green, when I was with Washington, Daryl green, I'm, I'm doing all the scout team stuff. Right in training camp, I would take him to first team reps in an offense and then scout team. I'd have to do all the scout team stuff, which I didn't care. I just wanted to throw the ball. Uh, but I'm reading, you know, coaches, they hold a card up, right? Here's the play and you read it. And then they got like, and they do this, right? They'll, okay, here's a guy right there. We want, we want you to throw it right to that guy. <laughs> it's like, okay, pick. Okay. Pick. Right. It's, Cause it's a perfect, coverage for that play so after about a few days of that daryl green comes up to me and he goes what are you doing i said what do you mean he goes why are you just throwing it to where they tell you i said i want to keep my job he goes that's not keeping your job first of all it doesn't make me any better second of all it's not making you any better i said he said would you throw it to any one of those guys and any of those i said no i've never thrown it there he goes, so don't do it now. You're just creating bad habits for yourself. And he said, look, if any coach comes up to you, just tell them to talk to me. Because I said, I want you to throw it where you would throw it in a game situation. And I said, okay. And I do it, right? And I'm completing passes, tearing up the defense. And, and the coaches are like, what are you doing? We're the... And Daryl Green goes, that's all right. I told him to do that. And it's okay. It's all right then. So then throughout my whole career, when I would throw scout team and do things, it's just about tearing up the defense, right? It was, okay, you call the defense, you play it. Don't read what the offense is doing until you think you know what's happening, right? Because then you're going to get burnt. And and in turn, what that does is that makes everybody better. I, as a guy who came in in the seventh round and had a great NFL career, you look at the number of flameouts First round flameouts, guys drafted with great resumes, guys had the quote can't miss tag placed on them. And the percentage, Gus, of first round success out of first round drafted quarterbacks is really not very high. It's not an exact science by a long stretch. Why do you think that is? 
because college in the NFL is completely different, right? I think over the years we've seen the NFL go more towards what their prospects are, right? Not to what they want to do. But if we want to get guys in here that can do what we want them to do, we better be more like what they've done for four or five years. This isn't like NBA where we get, you know, they can go to college for one year and then come play for us and we can mold them however we want. They've been playing for four or five years. They've learned from somebody else and they've done these certain things. And then we have to break all those habits and, and, and redo it all. And we see guys all the time. Uh, most recent one that I can think of is the kid from BYU that went to the Jets, right? Good kid in college, really good player, but struggles going to the pros. There's something there that's a disconnect because I think when you get in the NFL, coaches kind of feel like, okay, this is my system. This is what I want. And I don't know if they always think about, will this guy fit into my system, right? He could be an amazing player in college but he never understands the language that I speak. And so it's like you walking down, you know, if you don't know French and you're walking in France and people are saying the worst stuff to you and you're like, Hey, how you doing? You know, it's kind of like that. Like if you don't understand that language and then all of a sudden you have to make a decision in seconds behind the center, it's just not going to happen. Talk to me about, this is another topic that I always try and get, ex-NFLers to talk about how how was the transition for you out of football and when was it that you knew that the end was coming well it's kind of funny as you get older I mean I played 15 years and you're kind of like okay when is it because I'm going to another team like do I want to do this to my family my kids and everybody but then it's like okay once it's over you 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 don't realize it like it's over Right. But you're still in it. And so I'm like, okay, everybody's like, just play as long as you can. That's what any older guy would tell you, play as long as you can. Um, And so for me, what happened was I went back to the Vikings. I was going to retire from the Rams after I was cut there. I was just, my wife and I were like, okay, 14 years, we're done. Um, We're looking for a house in Charlottesville, Virginia. We're really excited. Coach Childress calls me from the Vikings and he says, hey, Gus, why don't you come up here? work with this young kid because one of my things I loved doing was I didn't care who it was. I was going to share any knowledge I had or work with you to make you better, to make our team better because it wasn't just about me. It's a team game, right? I don't care how good I am. If everybody else around me is terrible, we're never going to win. Right. So, um, and I still have to beat you out no matter what. Right. So I, I'm, I never appreciate guys say, oh, he can figure it out on himself. Like, no, yeah. no, we're in this together. Um, so for me, it was, I go back to Minnesota, play that year, had the big throw and all that stuff. My last play ever, I broke my back at playing against the Lions, right? And and we make the playoffs. I, I just want to play in the playoffs again. I had four or five weeks to get back and get healthy, which I thought I was. Coach Childers didn't, you know, decided that, eh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm going to play the young guy. And I want, you know, you've been hurt, whatever. It was his decision. Cool. But then after the season, that's when they got Brett Favre. They cut me and I'm like, okay, I'm done. Right. I, I got to figure out what's next. Go back to St. Louis where we were living. Um, and the Rams called and said, Hey, do you want to come try out for the team again? I said, sure. Go. I flunked my physical because my knee was bad. And um, I said, okay, it's time. I'm done. 15 years. I'm done. Okay. Family, we've moved around everywhere. What do we get? You know, now it's just time to relax and 
be together and, and be a dad and all that stuff. But then when you're done with the game, like I coached my kids in football. I was a high school football coach. I coached Ezekiel Elliott and Foye Luokan in high school. And, you know, not that I want to name drop, but that, you know, I kind of, they went to school with my kids. And so it was natural for me to coach there. But then when that was over, it's like, okay, what do I do next? I need like a real job. I need to, you know, because you're used to making a certain amount of money. You're used to your family having a lifestyle and all this. And, and we saved a lot. And I was able to, with all that I did in the NFL, I was able to put all my kids through college and let them do whatever they wanted. And then you just try to figure out what's next in my life. Some guys have it figured out when they're in the pros. I wasn't one of those guys. My passions were my family and football. That's it. And so when you get out, you're like, okay, what do I keep doing? That's why a lot of guys continue to coach or be involved in football right. somehow. I agree. We, we moved back to Pittsburgh. Um, I was coaching at Pittsburgh Central Catholic, and I didn't really like the other coaches and how they approached the game and what they did. It wasn't my team, so I just left. And then met another gentleman, started in the business route, never did business before, had to figure out how to make a PowerPoint and do all these other things. And it's like a but not get making any money. Right. So I'm just like, this was a startup and, and have moved through my career and trying to figure out where I'm going to land and what I want to do. Um, my wife went back, got her master's. She's a, uh, she's a psych nurse and a, a therapist, a licensed clinical social worker. So she's doing her thing, which I'm really happy for her. And then for me, I'm just trying to, you know, trying to figure out where that next step was. And then about a year ago, I started working with a guy and working with our alumni because just like I'm on your show, we all have incredible stories and ratings and people take those stories and make money from them. And I've always been like, okay, we need to own our stuff. We need to own our stories. And so we started NFL alumni media network as former players. We've never had our own network, which we really should, right? The NFL as a network will never be the NFL but we were the NFL. We played all these games. We're the one with these incredible locker room stories and these incredible tales. Like I just told you, um, but there's so many more. I mean, when I, I just went fishing in Wyoming with a bunch of friends and it's just like fishing story, fishing story, fishing. You know, it's like one after another. And so we started this, there's a QR code on there and it's, 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 I, we created this from former players for former players to have a place to go because it's, believe it or not, a lot of guys have no idea how to use, you know, like you said, you're not a tech guy. Yeah. Most of our guys aren't a tech guy, but they have incredible stories. And I want them to share that and say, look, this is yours now. Take it with you. If somebody wants to pay you to put it on their site or put their logo on your, you know, whatever, let's, let's do that. Um, and so I think it's, and it's not just one of us, right? Like if the Manning cast happens and Peyton Manning doesn't show up, it goes away. This is for all the former players. If you want to have a show, if you want to talk about your career or your lifestyle or whatever you're passionate about, come on and do it. And so people can go to NFL Alumni Media and check it out. I mean, LT's on here. Kenny Anderson, Anthony Munoz. We have a Tennessee Titan show in the dog pound. I think you guys have Mike Tomzak coming up yep. in the dog pound, Cleveland Brown show. But there's a guy who has crazy stories, right? Because he was with the 85 Bears. You know, he's been on some great Steeler teams. I mean, Tomzak, he has some incredible stories. So it's 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 just that. Like, And I, I think our guys love it because it's like being back in the locker room. As you know, being part of football, right? There's nothing better than being in that locker room. 
Because in reality, and I said my passions were football and family, but football is my family, right? And that's what I left. And I never got that back. Those guys that I was peers with, that I did all those the hard work with blood, sweat, and tears. And so when I started podcasting and being able to talk to those guys again, and now working with them all the time, it, it brings a lot of joy back. I, I know that it's got to be a lot of fun for you because I enjoyed, frankly, when we were at the Super Bowl and we were sitting one table away on, on you know, in Radio Row and just the number of the number of an NFL alumni that stopped by to say hello. So if you go to the QR code, scan the QR code at the bottom viewers and the NFL alumni media logo, you can find out what is what Gus is up to and what he's got going with the all those tremendous, tremendous guys that have played in the National Football League and have, as you know, it's just like to me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna join because I just can't get enough of the, you know, the great stories, especially, you know, like when we were at when we were in the Super Bowl and to see Carl Eller, like that's NFL royalty to me. Yeah, you know, and and you know, to talk to him, to sit and talk to him for ten minutes, and now this gives your project gives fans all over the world a chance to tune into those kinds of things and that's what we really want we want our fans to be able to connect with us again and you know when you when you go back and you talk like hey i played for the minnesota vikings like there was somebody up there one of our fishing guides in wyoming like his head immediately spins around and it's like you know but he's 23 years old but he's a massive vikings fan and literally the whole time fishing in a boat, he's asking talk a thousand questions and like about the Vikings, right? But that's constant how it is. And we wanted to create a platform where our guys can come, tell their stories, fans can watch it and interact. And it, it's been a lot of fun. And for us, like I do team meetings with all our guys. So I'll have 30 of us on a Zoom call all at one time. Oh, man. And, it, and we were like, we should just make this go live because this is the best stuff ever. Right. That's- Otis Anderson is leading the call and never shuts up. And he's and it's just and he's asking guys questions. You did this and you did. And it's just it's just awesome. All right. Now, I got to ask you, I got to ask you about the everybody. You know, obviously you throw a 99 yard touchdown pass and you're remembered for that. But to me, you're most remembered for post game in a, in a game that was really a low scoring game. You celebrated now. The only way I can describe it is you celebrated by headbutting a concrete wall. <laughs> yeah. So what what had happened? It's it's kind of crazy the whole story. Uh, I've been feuding with my coach a little bit. We weren't on the same page, and he was saying things to me, and I wasn't taking it the right way. Whatever, you know. I'm young, and um, I just had a lot of you know, stuff on my back. And I was just like, I got to get this monkey out of my back. And so we're playing the Giants on national TV. I think it was a Monday night game or something. Uh, but, you know, 25 million people watching, no big deal. And, you know, score a touchdown, run a touchdown and score. And, you know, there's, and I just went to go jump, like throw the ball against the wall. So excited, went to jump off the wall and just did that. And when my head hits the pad, right. And so I turn around and my tight end, Jamie Asher, he's so excited because I mean, we're all buddies. He smacks me across the head and all of a sudden I'm seeing stars. And, you know, what happened was from that, I got a stinger in my right side right here and I couldn't, 
couldn't move. If it would have been in my left side, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But to my right side, I'm like, I don't know what happened. And, you know, but then obviously as it's going on, you get taken away and, you know, they make a big deal out of it. I go off on a stretcher and all this stuff. And then it's just like all over the place. It's a national game. So it's kind of crazy when you deal with stress and pressure and everything that happened, you know, there's always bad that happens with all the good that happens and can you handle all that so it it turns it into a teaching moment is like okay i had this embarrassing thing happen to me uh what are you going to do with it are you going to turn it into a worse situation i played another 10 years after that happened to me um and it's you know it's resiliency it's stuff you learned as a kid pick yourself up who cares like live for the next day all that kind of stuff but also it was the support of my wife and my family but for me it was like okay it happened you answer the questions and it, it took me a while where before you would get up you know i used to get upset when people always talk about it because sometimes people can be pretty rude about it and all that stuff instead of just asking a genuine question uh but for me now it's it's no big deal you know what i mean because i there's nobody can take away that i played 15 years in the nfl I had some incredible moments in the NFL, made a pro bowl. It doesn't matter in that, in that little half second of a, of a period of my life, you know, it's just, to me, it's just something to talk about now. Well, I'm tell you what fans, if you want to have something to talk about with Gus, go to the QR code and tap into some of the greatest stories of all time in the NFL. Gus, it's great to connect with you again and we would love to have you on again later in you know in the in the summer as we get closer to training camps opening and talk about this coming season in the NFL and and a little bit more about some of the top quarterbacks and your evaluations of those guys. Yeah, next time we come on, I'm going to send you the picture of me at the top of Guinness Factory. My wife and I were just over in Ireland <laughs> this past spring and having a Guinness. So I'll send you that and we'll put that up next time. All right, you know what? We got to get you on tour with us over in Ireland. That would be a blast. I would do that in a heartbeat. I'm moving. I'm packing my bags. I am coming over. I love All that right. place. That Plus, my wife has Irish. My wife has Irish lineage, so it's like she fits in perfectly. Hey, that is the legend that is Gus Barat. Gus, thanks so much for being on the show. All right, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me.